So again, good morning. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. This is it. Holiday weekend because of holiday weekend, you know, like there's a lot of stuff getting ready to happen. Like the seasons are changing. It is pumpkin spice season. That's happened. We know that it is football season now. And the cool thing is everybody's team won this weekend. Like everybody's team won. All of them, right? All your teams won. Like nod somebody. Yeah, your team did win. Didn't matter whether it was yesterday or Friday or Thursday. I think everybody's team one, which is always a lot of fun when your team wins. We know it's short-term mission trip season. Next Sunday is the very last Sunday before we're sending off 22 to Ecuador. And so next Sunday is the last Sunday we'll pray over and commission that team. We're really fired up and excited about that. We know that we are one month away. I'm going to keep announcing this, y'all. One month away before we go back to three services, 8.30, 10 and 11.30. We know with the changes of the season that like hunting season's coming. We know that's coming. We know that, okay, I had to look this up. I'm going to tell you the truth. Like, I'm not a hunter or a fisherman. I'm an eater. Like, I like to eat all that. Like, I do. I enjoy eating all that. But I had to look up, like, is there fishing season? Like, is that a thing? Like, do people have, like, it's a fish. So, like, this is a thing. Like, I looked up, like, is there a fall fishing season? Here's what I found. I found that you're going to find through mid-September through October, salmon, smallmouth bass, walleye, and whitefish. And I do love me some smoked whitefish. So if you find some whitefish and you're like, you don't know, I got a smoker for Father's Day. And so we can half it. Like I'll smoke it for you and I'll just keep half as payment. It'll be a great partnership that you and I have. It'll be so fun. So I, um, I like hanging out with people who do hunt though or who do go fishing because of the stories right? Like you hang out with people who hunt and they're like, man, I saw this 50 point buck, 50 point buck. It got away. I mean, a squirrel scared it. Biggest thing I've ever seen is a monster or a fisher, fisherman. Like when they go fishing, they'll be like, I went fishing and I caught like five fish and it was so fun. I released most of them, you know, and, but by dinner time, it's like a dozen fish. You ever notice that? Or they'll start out, I caught some fish and they were this big. And um, you ask them, you know, after lunch, how big? Well, you know, it was about that big. By dinner time, you know, they were about that big. They just keep getting bigger. And like, but the one that got away, it's always the one that got away. One that got away, it went right through. It's like a river monster, you know, just swam right through the fishing net. Like we went to scoop it up and it just broke, right? This thing was, we love to tell our stories. Man, we love to tell our stories. The thing is, is when it comes to what we should be telling our stories about, we sometimes get a little nervous, don't we? We know we finished up a sermon series last week where we talked about the importance of unity within the church and the unity that we can have because we continue to share those God stories together. We talk about the great things the Lord has done, and that actually serves for us to protect the unity within the church. We know these are the things we should be talking about. And yeah, we can talk about hunting, we can talk about fishing, we can talk about pumpkin spice lattes, we can talk about all that stuff, or the catch in the football game, we can talk about that, but we struggle talking about the work of the creator of the universe in our lives. We struggle with that. Well, this morning is a unique morning. They give us just a couple Sundays a year where it's what we call a one-off, meaning pastors are allowed to preach at all 14 campuses, whatever they want to preach on. And they said, since they knew holiday weekend, we were going to pack the house. They knew. Like they said, Billy, you can preach whatever you want to preach today. And so I, I want to kind of continue with this thought of fishing. Because in the very beginning, we had 12 disciples. But before the 12 disciples, there were four. 
Andrew, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus says this. He says, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you, which means you're not this yet. You're, you're not this, but you're going to follow me, and I'm going to make you into. And right when you read that, you think, I know what Jesus is going to say. Maybe you don't do that. I do that. I kind of like preemptively think of where the story is going to go. Jesus, you're going to make us into something. Well, you're going to make us smarter because we're kind of dumb sometimes, right? You're going to make us smart. You're a teacher. You're a rabbi. So you're going to make it. No, that's not what he said. More discipline. We need to be more disciplined, don't we? More discipline in how we pray. More discipline in how we study. More discipline physically. More. Di- we need to be more. Di- no, that's not what he said. I'm going to make you a better son, a better daughter, a better mom, dad, husband, wife, whatever, a better employee, a better employer. I'm going to make you better, better with your finances, better. No, that's not what he said. You guys know what he said. He says, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I don't know whether that would have scared them to death or really confused them or maybe both, but it brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that to follow is to fish. To follow Jesus is to fish. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books make up in the New Testament what we call the Gospels. The Gospels are all about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything else in the New Testament is talking about once you are a follower of Jesus, how do you live that out? How do we do it as a church? How do you do it as a son or a daughter of God now? How do you live out your faith? But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are focused on the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. He is very economical with his word. It's said that Mark is kind of like writing to every man. So he's not writing to those who are just really, really... In fact, he's writing to Gentile believers in Rome. So people who came from outside of Judaism and are now Christians, that's who he's writing to. And that'll make more sense as we start reading. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, is where I'm going to be. Mark says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So John, he starts out saying, is in prison. This isn't John, part of the 12. We'll get to that guy in just a second. This is John the Baptist, right? So he says, John the Baptist is in prison, and Jesus was preaching. We expect him to do that, don't we? Jesus to be preaching. So Jesus is preaching, and here's what he's saying. He's saying that the time has come. Now, the time has come because the people that Jesus was talking to, they're expecting a Messiah, Back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before this, there were prophecies told that there would be a rescuer. That's what the word Messiah means, a savior, a rescuer. There's a rescuer who's going to come to save the people. Now, in the first century, they're wanting to be saved by Rome because Rome had kind of swept in, and they were an occupying force in Israel like most of the world at that time. Rome kind of had conquered almost everything in the known world. And so people were expecting a a political savior or a military savior or a financial savior. And can I just tell you, I think there's a lot of people in the U.S. today that that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for Jesus. So many people think that what they need is a political savior, an economic savior, uh, whatever kind of a savior. And so that's what the people are expecting. 
They don't know it's Jesus yet. And Jesus says, the time has, has come. He says, I want you to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. That's what the word gospel means. Believe the good news. So repent. It's this Old Testament word. You guys know this. It says, I'm going along this way, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to turn from my sin. The sin in my life, I'm going to turn from the sin, and I'm going to turn my affections, I'm going to turn my heart, I'm going to turn my ways to God. Turn from my sin, turn toward God. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, it was repent, and God will heal your land. Repent, and God will do this. You do this, God will do this. But did you notice what Jesus just said is different? Jesus said, when, when, you, when you repent, when you turn from your sin and turn your affections back to God, when you turn your ways to God, your eyes are going to be open to see what he's already doing. He's already doing it. But if you blink, you're going to miss it. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is urging them and encouraging them. You don't want to miss this moment. It's kind of like earlier in the week, there was a rocket and they were going to launch it up to the moon. Y'all knew that, right? Everybody knew that? Some of you are looking at me blankly like, I didn't know that. Okay, Artemis 1, we're going to go back to the moon, which is so cool because in my lifetime, I've never seen us go to the moon. Like rocket, people, nothing, robots, like I haven't seen us send anything to the moon. So I'm kind of geeked about this. Like I'm really, really pumped, but they delayed it. And then I was like, no, but we'll do it later on. the And then they delayed it again. And then last night I heard they're delaying it for a few weeks. Not that most of you care, but like mid-September, we're going to try it again. But don't blink. If you blink, you're going to miss us launching a rocket that's going to go to the moon. First time we've been like, this is so, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't, don't blink. Don't miss us. You need to right now turn from your sin. You need to repent. You need to turn from the way that your heart has had its affections on everything and everyone else. And you need to turn to God and God alone. That's what needs to happen right now. Look at verse 16. And it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Now, remember I said how Mark kind of like writes to every man? Sometimes he sort of mansplains a little bit, and here's what I mean. He says they're, they're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. <laughs> they're not bakers or candlestick makers, y'all. They're fishermen. That's why they're throwing nets into the sea. And so when I read that, maybe it's just me. It's probably just me. I'm reading it, and I'm going, that wasn't actually very nice, Mark. Like, that really wasn't nice at all. Like, I could have figured that out. But thanks for giving me that detail. They were fishermen. You leave out so many other details, but you give me that detail. And it says, and Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I like how Luke records the conversation with Peter. Because it says, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, I've mentioned this before, but mending the nets would have been the responsible thing to do. You have to fix your nets because when you throw that net out into the sea and it spreads out and does its thing and you pull, if you catch fish, their fins will start to cut away at that net. The, the driftwood that's there, the rocks, it'll, it'll just kind of shred your net. And then if you don't stop and fix your nets, later on when you throw it out there, if you went to pull in the, well, there's a hole now. And the fish are going to just get right. That's your money. 
That's how you feed your family. That's how you take care of your family. And your money is just going to swim right out. So it's so important to stop and mend the nets and fix the nets. And yet what we see from Peter and Andrew, they didn't stop to mend the nets. They left everything. They followed Jesus. And then you see with the next two, with James and John, they're in the process of fixing the nets for their dad's fishing business. But immediately they leave the nets and they follow Jesus. What we're going to see is within just a few chapters of this calling, they start doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And it expanded not just to the four, but it expanded to all the 12. And not just to the 12. We know that later on it was a tax collector. Later on, there was a prostitute. Later on, there was this man who had been demon-possessed. And then after Jesus healed him, he went and told his whole hometown what was going on. And I'm going to tell you, they weren't very good at this at first. The disciples at first, whenever Jesus called them to be fishers of men, they weren't good at it, which is hardly surprising. Like I just mentioned, like I'm not a hunterman. I'm an eater, not, not a fisherman. Like I haven't done any of that. But I did think to myself this week, if I wanted to fish, who would I go to? What would I do? Well, George Fisher, his last name's Fisher. That's the guy, and he just happens to be good at fishing. So I go to George Fisher, who's in Ohio this week. But I would go to George, and I would ask. Now, George mostly does boat fishing. Like he, and he always catches his limit. I don't even know what that means, but I think it means you can't catch any more by rules. I think the rules say if you catch any more fish, you're going to get in trouble. They'll take your boat. They'll take your truck. They'll take your wife, whatever. They're going to take everything. <laughs> so don't take more than you're supposed to take, but I would go with George. But I would want to ask, and I don't know if he even does this. If any of you do this, no one took me up on it after the first service, maybe this service. You know what I'd really want to do is not the boat fishing. I'd want to do fly fishing. You know what I'm talking about? Where you got to do your little finger on it and you... I don't even know. Like in my head, you wear the bucket hat, you know, and you got the vest. And you're just out there and it's looking picturesque and you're perfect every time. Like, man, I want to do it. But um, here's probably why no one took me up on this offer. Like seriously, if you're good at it, and you want to teach me, like, I really do, I'd like to learn. Like, that'd be kind of fun. But it'll probably be a really rough day for you because I'll be horrible. Like, I've never done any of that kind of stuff. So I'm pretty certain, like, I'd be awful at it. And I'd scare all the fish, which means you're not going to catch anything either, which would be, probably be a really miserable day. But, like, I want to learn, so it'd be fun. Let's go do it. And um, I'd, I'd really be bad. The disciples, they were bad at first when it came to fishing. Like, one day, Jesus is there, and these kids are running around doing their thing, and they shoo away the kids. They're like, get, you little kid. You get. Get out here now. Get, little kids. They, I think the heart was good. The heart was Jesus is getting ready to teach, and we want to make sure he teaches with power and authority. We want to make sure that everyone can hear what Jesus is getting ready to say, and we don't want the kids to distract. But Jesus has to kind of reel them back in. And he's like, no, no, don't, don't, do, don't tell them to get. Don't do that. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said. Or there's another time they're walking down the road, the disciples with Jesus they're with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. And they start to have this debate. It's one of my favorite scenes. They're debating about who the greatest is. They're with Jesus. And they're debating who amongst them is the greatest. It's ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. So Jesus has to reel them in again. And he's kind of like, you blow. we do that so oftentimes today. We blow. We know that to follow is to fish. You never see examples in the New Testament where it says, now that you have new faith in Christ, go lock yourself in your bedroom and don't you dare tell anyone about it. You be a little solo Christian, a lone ranger Christian. You just do this all by yourself. Don't join in with other Christians and don't be intentional about expanding the gospel. That's just not in there. That out is not there. So to follow is to fish. 
And yet we make this about everything else, don't we? We make this about to follow is to know more. You should know more. If you're a Christian, you're going to be a lot smarter, so you should know more. And you should pray more, and you should give more, and you should do this more, and you should do... And all all that's great. Like, that is good. And it's the mark of a healthy Christian. Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't know what the Bible says, if you haven't studied it and know what the Bible says, you can't be obedient to the teachings of Jesus. You need to know what it says. And you need to be faithful and trusting the Lord in prayer. But we cannot, as Christians, skip the very mission that Jesus called us to. He said that you're going to make disciples. You're going to make disciples. You're going to baptize. You're going to teach them. So you do need to know what the Bible says. You're going to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But go all the way back. It starts with you've got to make disciples. You and I are part of that process. It's not just those who are going to Ecuador. It's not just the 12. It's not just to the four that Jesus originally grabbed. It's to every single one of us. Now, the thing is, some of you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. You haven't. And maybe it's one of a couple reasons. Maybe part of the reason is, as you look at the Bible, and you're going, I haven't surrendered my life to Christ because, man, that's a big old book of rules. Look how many words are in there. That's a big book of rules, and that just seems awful. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And some of you, it's the opposite. You haven't surrendered your life to Christ, not because it's a bunch of rules, you just think it's too easy. Like, give my life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then I get to go to heaven for eternity. I don't have to do anything. Like, that's too easy. I just want to challenge real quick both of those thoughts. One, this is not a big book of rules, just so you know. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Everything in here points to the fact that before Christ, you and I were were blind, We don't even see what's going on around us. It's like there's cotton stuffed in your ears and there's a blindfold on you and and you're in that spot of not even realize that you are in chains. You are in bondage to sin. You are trapped in your own sin. When you come to new life in Christ, you are free. You are a new creation. Everything in scripture is driving to that truth that you can have freedom in Christ. That's what it's driving. His death, his burial, his resurrection. As far as those who think it's too easy, did you hear the calling of Jesus on these guys? Leave everything, come follow me. Everything your life was about, it's not about that anymore. You think it's about making money for your business? You think it's about driving to build this empire fishing business? You think that's what it is? You think it's how many fish you can catch? You think that's what it is? Leave it. Come, follow me. Talk about a bold call. Here's the call of Jesus. Life doesn't get easier. It doesn't. It doesn't fix all your problems. It doesn't make you rich. It's not going to do that. You have a hope that's so much bigger than you, though. You have eternal promises in Christ, but it's literally going to take everything you have. It is. It's this calling to come and to follow him. I love how Luke actually records this detail a little bit more. When Luke records it, he says that the four had been out fishing all night. They had been out fishing, and they start to come back into the shore, and Jesus is standing at the shore. He's like, okay, we're going to go fishing. Anyone in here working the trades? Raise your hands. My trades people. I, okay, I love it. It's like, yeah, I know. That's, that's all I got. I saw that. Just so you know, like, yep, uh, that's me. 
Okay, my tradespeople, if you're not a tradesperson, you can still envision with me. I think you'll get it. Imagine we have an electrician, and they're on a lift, and they're doing electric things up there. You imagine? Like, I don't know what they do, but they're doing it, right? They're getting it. They're making sure nothing blows up. They're doing that. And imagine a plumber walks in. He's holding a big old pipe with him. He looks up. He goes, hey, you know what? I was on YouTube the other day, and I saw a neat little thing. You're doing it all wrong. Here's what you ought to do. Can you imagine what that electrician's going to feel, like how he feels? Or imagine there's a painter, and they're on the lift, and they're cutting in, and they're, you know, we do the little line with the paint, and they're doing all that. And imagine the electrician comes over and walks and says, hey, I was watching HGTV. I was watching some of that, and, and I learned how to really cut in. You're doing it all wrong. Can you imagine how that person's going to feel? Now, if that's you, you're a Christian, so you're not going to say anything bad, right? You're not, you're not going to say anything bad at all. But inside, you know how you're going to bristle a little bit? Like you are, aren't you? Like you, you're not going to like that feeling inside at all. When all of a sudden they come, okay, these guys are fishermen. They make their living fishing. This is how they feed their, their families is by fishing. And this carpenter comes up. That's Jesus' trade. He's a carpenter. This carpenter comes up and he stands on the shore and he's like, hey, <laughs> y'all been doing it all wrong. You don't know what you're doing. Let down your nets right now. Let them down. And I don't know why, but Peter is like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this, guys. Let down the nets. And scripture tells us they land so many fish, they, they really are having trouble just dragging the ship onto the boat, or the fish onto the boat. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, I don't think as they follow because all of a sudden they're wanting to go, yeah, I really want to know what it is to fish for men now. That's what I've wanted my whole life is to fish for men. I don't think that's why. I think that they experience something that they're like, I can't explain the awesomeness of what I just experienced with the Lord. I just know that this is different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. This is a man with power and authority. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And over the next three years, they really got to see Jesus for who he really is. In fact, three of them actually got to see at the transfiguration. Jesus transfigured before them. They got to see Jesus in his glory, and it shook them to their core. You see, the Lord says, come and follow me. And when you follow me, you're going to fish, because that's what it is to follow me. But what we do, though, we're like, man, that sounds great, but I kind of got plans, Lord. I got got this education I'm working on right now. I got this house thing that I'm wanting to work on. I got this job thing I'm working on. I got this family thing I'm working on. We become consumed with all of that, don't we? Come on now. That's where we spend our energy. That's where we spend our focus is on all that other stuff, the stuff that's not everlasting. The thing is, is everything in your life has an eternal value if you allow Jesus to make you a fisher of men. Let me, let me say that again. Everything in your life, everything can have an eternal value if you allow Jesus to make you a fisher of men. That, that's our struggle, though. I think our struggle is we look at that job, and some of you are in a job right now, and you're like, I don't like my job. Like, I got to eat, so I'll work, but I don't like it. I live in a house. Man, I hate my house. I don't even like it. I don't like my house. Some of you are the opposite. Man, I love my work. I love it. I love my house. I love where I live. I, I love the people I live next to. I love the people in my house. Some of you are like, mm, I don't know, you know, and so I think we're all over the place on that, but can I just tell you like a secret here this morning, and that is none of that stuff matters. 
I, and I, I mean this with love. Like, I don't care if you love your house or not. I don't care if you love your neighborhood or not. Like, I don't care if you love your job. That's not what it's about. No, I do care. That's not true. Like, I, I love when you love your job. I love when you love where you live. I think that's great. But that's not the point. That's what I'm trying to say. That's, that's not really the point. The point is to take every single one of those things and use them for God's glory. Your education is for God's glory. Your job is for God's glory. Your house is for God's glory. Your family is for God's glory in the strengths and the places where your paper is all ripped up because you spilled coffee on it. All of that is for God's glory. So instead, we get to go to this place of saying, Lord, show me where those intentional intersections can take place. Show me where they can take place. It's where you start to get eyes to see your neighborhood the way the Lord sees it. Or your school or your work the way the Lord sees it. Or that coffee shop you go to the way the Lord sees it. Looking for those intentional intersections. Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there is going to be fishing involved. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. This is one of the last things he said before he ascended into heaven. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That means your hometown. Bruce, Almont, Armada, Romeo, Washington, Oxford, Macomb, wherever home is for you, Shelby, wherever home is, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses there. When you work there, when you live there, when you go to school there, you're going to be intentional about fishing there. But you're not just going to stay there you're going to go to Judea and Samaria. That's like saying your region. In other words, Southeast Michigan. We should create a ruckus in Southeast Michigan. People should know about the love that God has for them because of the way we love them, right? All throughout Southeast Michigan, there should be things that we are active and we are doing. And then he says to the ends of the earth, to Ecuador. And you might only get to go to Ecuador once or twice a year. And when I say you, all of us are part of this trip in a couple weeks, every single one of us, you have been praying for it, you have so generously given to it, and a small group will be going, but we all partner together in it. And I got to tell you, it grieves me when I hear brothers and sisters in Christ say, man, I don't like that we go do things in South Africa. I don't like that we do things in Thailand, I don't, because there's so much that needs done here. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm not following your gospel because this is not you get to write the plan. Jesus' plan says that the mission is both and. It is both here and it is there. The difference is we only go there like once or twice a year. That's the difference. Here is every single day of your life. There is a lot more emphasis placed here, which is appropriate. You live here. There should be just as much emphasis placed right here, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. I got a challenge I'm going to give to you because it's back to school season. So I'm going to give you some homework before we leave today. Some homework. Homework is good. But before I get to the homework, I want to set the stage for it. In John chapter 8, we read this story from John where he says that Jesus is at the temple. The temple would have been this holy place in Jerusalem. And Jesus is sitting on the steps, it says, teaching the crowd because that's how it would work. The rabbi, the teacher would sit Everyone else would stand, so I guess he can teach a lot longer that way, you know, if he's just sitting down teaching. So he's teaching, sitting on the steps, and all of a sudden there's this noise that breaks out. These guys are yelling at the back, kind of just, just making a mess of things. Move, move, everyone move. We're coming through, and they take this woman, Scripture says, and they throw this woman at the feet of Jesus. 
They say, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act. She's been caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her to death. We should pick up stones, rocks, and throw them at this woman until we kill her. What do you say, Jesus? Now, the Bible says that Jesus stood up at that point. But we're missing some details. We don't know exactly what happened in these next few moments. Did he look at the Pharisees who threw the woman down in the first place? Did he look at the woman? Did he look at his disciples? Did he look at the crowd? We don't know where he looked. Man, I wish we did. And we don't know what the look on his face looked like. Was he, was he sad? Was he brokenhearted over this scene? Was he angry? Was he contemplative? Was he thinking? We don't know. We don't know the body posture. What we do know is he just stooped down and started drawing the dirt. Started, what, do you, what do you write in the dirt? Man, pastors for thousands of years have debated. What do you think Jesus drew in the dirt? Maybe what he wrote down is the law that they were talking about. You know, the law that says this woman is deserving death, as is the person she was with, but I always see half the party here. Maybe that's what he wrote down, just to call them out in their hypocrisy. Maybe. Of course, I think everybody's favorite explanation is, maybe he wrote down the names of all the Pharisees who were standing there and their sins. Maybe. We don't know. We just don't know. What we do know is he stood up. He stood, and he didn't tell them they were wrong. So can you see this? It's almost like he just stood up, kind of like, you're right. You're right, man. We should be mad at this. She broke the law. So did that other guy. He broke the law. They committed adultery. This is deserving of death. You get your rocks, man. Get them. Get your stones ready. Come on. Someone needs to kill this one. We need to do something about it. So let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Can you imagine the silence that fell over those guys in that moment? The Bible says that one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And Jesus looks at her. He tells her, just go. Sin no more. He didn't say it was right. He just said, don't, don't do that anymore. Turn from that sin. Turn your affections to God. Can I tell you in that story, you and I, we're not the disciples, just so I'm clear. And we're the woman. That's us. We're the ones who's an ugly sight and can't do anything about the situation we're in. That's us. Or, or maybe you're not the person who's been exposed. Maybe you're the man who's off hiding right now thinking, I get away scot-free because no one knows what I did. We're one of the two. We are the ones who are broken and in need of grace. We are in need of salvation. And Jesus here so richly and lavishly pours out his grace on this woman. And that's what he does for us. Church, that's why we go fishing. Because there are so many who have never felt that grace. They don't understand that level of love, that level of grace. And we get to be the ones who tell the truth about who Jesus is. That's what we get to do. And so I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I, I've been doing this for a few decades now, and I don't know that I've ever, 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 ever felt anticipation like I'm feeling today. I just don't know if I've ever felt this kind of anticipation because I'm looking going, oh my goodness, what might the Lord do in the next three to four months 
right here. And when I say right here, I don't mean all of Woodside, all 14. No, I mean here. I mean here, you, me, here, our church family. What might the Lord do? We're going to have this 10-year celebration. Man, what might the Lord do? These women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies, how might the Lord stir in you in those circles? Your life groups, as your life groups are restarting, what might the Lord do within our life groups? As we go to three services, as we have our fall outreach, our fall outreach is so fun. Man, it's where we're going to see people set up tables, hand out candy all over this building as kids from the community are walking through. We get to do that. That's going to be incredible. For Thanksgiving, to be able to pack boxes full of food for families to have Thanksgiving meals. Our women's tea is all these chairs disappear and there's tables all over the place. December, just the celebration of the birth of a Savior. What might the Lord do? And so here's your homework assignment. I want you to find 10 people this week. 10 people that your suspicion is, you're not necessarily a person who goes to church or knows the Lord. I want you to grab them by the shoulders real tight. And I want you to look at them. I just want you to tell them, Jesus, let me tell you the God. I'm kidding. That's not what I want you to do. (laughs) I was talking to Kip about this this morning. He was like, Bill, you're making me really anxious inside because I don't like touching people. Like, I don't... (laughs) He's like, I want to do all that. No, you'll, you'll get arrested for assault. Don't do that, guys. Don't touch anybody. Don't touch anyone. No, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to be bold enough to pray. And I'm sincere about this. I want you to walk your neighborhood. And I just want you to thank the Lord for placing you there because he placed you there. Lord, you know better than I do. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, not what I want. That's what you want, Lord, and you place me here. Thank you for that. Will you just let me see my neighbors the way you do? And when you go to work and you go to the coffee and you go to the water and you're doing that, we just pray for your manager, for your owners, for your employees, for your colleagues. Just pray for them. Lord, the people here, there's so many who desperately need your grace. I don't, I don't want to make anything weird. Will you just show me where those natural intersections can take place? I just want to naturally tell people about your grace. Show me where those opportunities are. Lord, when I go down there and meet all these motorcycle people that are zooming by, will you just let me go right down there as I get my burger for lunch? Just show me where those intersections need to take place. But I'm so thankful for for everything going on with Peach Fest. And will you just bring everybody to us? How cool is this? I like how One Life Group is doing it. They meet on Fridays and they've just said every... Every month that has five Fridays, we're going to take that fifth Friday. And we're just going to have dinner. But we're not just going to have dinner. We're going to send cards to all the neighbors, and we're going to invite them over to join us. Just as a place for intersections to take place. As a church, we're going to be so many opportunities, so many to invite people in. It's going to be easy to invite people in. For your life group, easy to invite people in. But let's be bold enough to say, Lord, because I follow you, I want to fish. I don't want to be afraid of this. I don't be afraid of talking about my faith and the goodness of who you are. I don't have to talk about anything about me. It's about who you are and what you're doing. Lord, give me that kind of boldness.